0: Good morning. It's interesting, I think, that that Luke talks about, or, or was talking about, where your heart is, what your motives are. We get to explore, over the next few weeks, someone who began with proper motives, someone who began with a proper perspective, someone who began with a humble heart, and someone who ended quite tragically. It's a very tragic story, a very sad story, looking at the fall of Saul, and so while we go through this, and... and Today, we won't come to any conclusions. Today, we're, we're setting the stage. Now, we're going to learn a few lessons through this, but while we go through this, I want you to reflect upon your mind and your heart, your motives, as to what you do and why you do it, whether it is to glorify and exalt self or if it is to glorify and exalt Jesus. It's a very serious question, but it's often one that we shrug off. Well, it doesn't apply right now, we say, or I can't see the benefits immediately, we say, and yet as we look at the fall of this person who had incredible potential, incredible uh, opportunity, we see that so much can be squandered if we allow ourselves to be consumed with improper motives and an improper heart. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for the joy of study and the joy of worship. We thank you for the joy of meeting together. But we thank you for the joy also of being able to see and understand some examples throughout Scripture and and help us to, to guide our way through life, help us to reflect upon our minds and our hearts, Father, that we may remain humble and obedient and loving regardless of the various challenges that face us throughout the days and throughout the weeks. Father, we ask that you'll help us learn, that you'll help us learn through the life of Saul and that we might avoid some of the tragedies and some of the pitfalls that he engaged in. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And while you're Turning to 1 Samuel chapter 8, let me read 1 Samuel chapter 31, just a couple of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 31, 3 through 6 says this, The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and he fell on it. Then the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead. He too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. That's the end of the story. That's the end of Saul. Obviously, that's the end of his reign. And we got to ask, what happened? This is the first king of Israel, and he goes from being chosen and an anointed and appointed king, he goes from having a changed heart, he goes from prophesying before God to giving up all hope, being consumed, and ending up taking his own life. We don't read of many, uh, many people taking their own life in Scripture. As far as I can find, we read of seven most of whom wrestle with fear and wrestle with pride in their lives. Uh, Samson, of course, is one of them, and he, he wrestled with pride all the time. If you know anything about Samson, he's, he was a prideful dude. And he's one of these ones that takes his own life. Could be argued that that was in service to the Israelite nation as he was battling Philistines. And we don't know anything about the character of this armor bearer that dies along with Saul. But everybody else that you read about, at least in Scripture that you read about, deals in some way with pride and anger and rage and fear. Certainly that was no different than maybe the most famous one that killed himself, and that was Judas after betraying Jesus Christ. Over the past few weeks, we have talked about the fall of mankind Sin entering the world and entering our lives. We, we went a little bit further than that then. We talked about the law that God gave the Israelites. And this law was meant as a guardian. This law was meant as a steward as they made their way to the coming Jesus Christ. And last week we saw salvation through Jesus Jesus never says, hey, fix yourself, clean your life up first, and then why don't you and I sit down and talk? Jesus says, no, accept the truth of who I am and what I am that's written about at the beginning of Scripture, and then we'll begin to sanctify this saved person. And so we need to ask as we believe, or if we believe, as we're coming to believe in Jesus Christ, is your faith based upon convenience? Is your faith based upon emotion? Is your faith based upon passion? Because all of these things left, all of these things deserted Saul. Or is your faith based upon conviction? Is it based upon truth? Is it based upon reason? Is your faith in Jesus based upon desire to become what you were intended to be? Here, following... Is a cautionary tale. So who was Saul? And I, we won't be in Scripture here for just a minute. Let me lay some more background for you. Who was Saul at a, when Sam was born or about ready to be born? had a friend tell me, asked me what his name was. I said, well, it's going to be Samuel uh, David Watkins. And uh, he said, you know what you ought to do? He said, you ought to make his middle name start with an A. I said, really? Start with an A? I said, why? He said, well, he's got the name Samuel, and then if you just use his initials, it could also be another biblical name, Saul. (laughs) And I'll tell you, this guy never dropped a clever line in his life. I was real proud of him. I said, I'm going to use that again someday. Today's the day. There you go. Who was Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel. The first king of Israel. We talked about Israel a couple of weeks ago, this nation that is born under Abraham because of this promise to Abraham. And now all of the Old Testament talks about the progression of this family leading up to Jesus. Saul ended up being the first king. The Israelites became a nation, became a, a group of people with an identity during their exodus from Egypt, moving through the wilderness to Canaan or moving through wilderness to the promised land. They received the law during that time. They inherited then and took over through military conquest, took over the promised land because that was promised to Abraham by God. Moses died. Moses was the one leading him, and he died before entering Canaan, and so Joshua took over as uh, leading this group of people into this promised land. That's where you get the book of Joshua. As they settled and spread out, there was no one human ruler over this nation. There was no one human ruler over all of these various tribes. There were many different tribes that made up the nation, and they were governed by God, they were governed by the law that they received in uh, the Exodus story. Now, during times of strife, during times of war or argument or times of difficulty, God would raise up judges. This is where we get the historical book of Judges. God would raise up, raise up people to settle disputes or, or, in the moment, raise up people to lead the Israelites, Gideon was one of these, Samson was one of these, Barak was one of these, Deborah, she was a prophetess, but she was one of these in Judges, and there's more, but those are the most popular ones. And things were not perfect as they were settling this promised land, but people were relying upon or attempting to rely upon their faith in God, upon the justice of God, and they were able to or, or they were trying to live out their lives under the law. Now, it was certainly a tumultuous time. It was even a violent time, not because God had failed, but because people were rejecting who God was, and people were rejecting the law once it was given. They were in the process of rejecting God. They were even worshiping false idols. It didn't take real long for them to start rejecting God. And as a result of their own folly, they started looking outside of the governance of God. They started looking outside of the law of God. This isn't working, they would tell themselves. We need to look for something else. You ever hear somebody tell you, well, this doesn't work, and you think in your mind, well, it's not working because you're not doing it, right? It's not working because you're not doing it right. And that's what the Israelites were say. Well, this isn't working, God. You know, your justice and your mercy and your guidance and your law just didn't get the job done. God says, no, you're not getting the job done. He's laid out this perfect law for you. This rejection came to a head when the elders of the land demanded a king over the people. This request was directed towards Samuel. Samuel, this is where we get first and second, Samuel in Scripture. So we're, we're going through this Bible. We're going through scripture. We get first and second Samuel here. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel is kind of the prophet of the day. He was a judge. He was possibly even a priest. He was not the high priest, but he was a priest. And this is why the main story of Saul and David is told in 1 and 2 Samuel. It's retold in 1 Chronicles. Samuel was a good man, but his sons were not. His sons were bad. His sons were evil. His sons were rejecting the things that Samuel taught. They were not going to follow in their father's footsteps, so the people wanted a king. That's what they told Samuel. And Sam wasn't happy about this. In fact, he was quite angry about this because they were actually rejecting God. He thought it was an affront to God, but also to himself. And God told Samuel, look, it's not you it's, they're rejecting, it's me, 1 Samuel 8, 6-7. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And this was a personal thing now. That's the point. This is what we, we follow then in God's, in God's response. This was a personal affront to Samuel. Samuel was their prophet. Samuel was their judge. This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. This happens every day. This probably happened in your life at some point. Here's the love of Christ. Here's salvation. Here is what Scripture says. Here are the things we've learned, and people turn a blind uh, eye to it or a deaf ear to it. And God says, look, you continue in your ministry. You continue in your mission work because it's not you they're rejecting. It's me, says God. They're rejecting the very word of God. So in order to teach a lesson, and that's really what this was, in order to teach a lesson to the people for rejecting His authority in their life, In order to teach a lesson to the people for rejecting the authority, the grace, the mercy, the wisdom, the abundance of God, God says what you never want to hear God say, and what is it? Have it your way. There's a reason you never want to hear God say, have it your way in your life, because if it's your way, it's not His. He knows more than you know. He sees more than you see. He understands so much more than you understand. He certainly understands a lot more than I understand. And when God says, have it your way, you know you're headed for trouble. God wants us to have it His way, to have this close relationship, to rely upon Him for provision, to rely upon Him for instruction, to rely upon Him for direction, to rely upon God for justice. problem with that takes patience. Anytime you rely upon God for just about anything, it takes patience. It takes submission, it takes humility, it takes trust. I can't tell you how many times I've read through Scripture and God says, you know, I'll take care of this, or I'll handle that, or this is going to work out in the end, or this and that. And I think, boy, that takes a lot of trust in the middle of battle. But the people rejected His Word. God said, all right, have it your way. Samuel 8. You know, I better turn there. Why don't I turn there too? Samuel 8, 10 through 13, or 10 through 18. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He's going to take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves, and he's going to give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys and all that stuff he's going to take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks. And you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you're going to cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. God tells the people, look, you can have it your way, but before you make this decision, I'm going to lay out the consequences For rejecting me in your life. Guys, we have consequences laid out before us in the Word of God all the time. This is what happens. This is the result of rejecting God in our lives as king, as author of who we are and what we are. God never hides anything. In fact, He goes to the people and says, all right, before you make this decision, Here's the bad stuff that's going to happen. I'm not even going to say you've made the decision yet, says God. Let me lay this out for you, and then you're free to make the choice, wise or foolish. God doesn't hide anything from you. He doesn't hide anything from me. But as God always allows, He allows us to live our lives and make decisions. Look at 19 through 22 but the people refused to listen to Samuel. People refused to listen and know they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered him, listen to him, give him a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everybody go home. We've got this. There are things. There are things that we can learn through the life of Saul, but there are also things that we can learn through the story of Saul. You see, what the people were saying here is we want to serve someone else. We want to serve something else. That's what we do. Anytime and in subtle ways, and boy, we talk ourselves into it. Anytime we want to reject the authority of God, anytime we object obedience to God, anytime we reject submission to God, anytime we reject patience before God, trust in God, anytime we put our hope, anytime we put our trust in ourselves, We say to God the very same things these people are saying. We don't want you to rule over us anymore. We don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. We want to be just like everyone else. What a horrible thing to be. What a horrible thing to pursue in life. We want to be just like everybody else. church, you are not like everyone else. You're not supposed to be like everyone else. Your children are not supposed to be like everyone else. Your spouse, your family, your home, it isn't supposed to be like everybody else's. And if you can't control, if you don't have control over that, just look to yourself. You are not supposed to be like everybody else. That's not how you were created. That's not how you were designed. That's not what you're challenged to. And being like everybody else is not what leads to life. What leads to life is accepting and being like Jesus. Now bear in mind, Jesus was killed. Bear in mind, as far as I could tell, every apostle was killed. Every apostle was murdered except for John, and they tried to kill him. I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but if you're at odds with everybody else, and your mind, and your heart, and your priority, and your desire, I've said this last week, you're probably doing something right. They wanted something else to rule over them so they could be just like everyone else. We say it'll be better. It'll be more effective. It'll be this. It'll be that. Really, what they're saying is it'll be easier. It'll be easier. It'll just be easier. It'll be cheaper. It'll be weaker. It'll be hopeless. But it'll be easier if God doesn't rule our lives, if God doesn't command our heart, direct our minds. I'll tell you, it is. It is. It's a lot easier. In fact, we can take a break right now. Anybody who's just had enough, you you can go. I won't even call you. But if you're going to hang around and you're going to do this right, you need to know it's going to be hard. And it's supposed to be hard. Why is it supposed to be hard? Because we live in a fallen world. It's a lot easier to do the things that are selfish. It's a lot easier not to have patience. It's a lot easier to trust in self. It's a lot easier to be prideful. It's a lot easier to have someone else rule your life. We are to be a royal priesthood, we are to be a holy nation. And so, what does God say? Give them a king. Later on, we're going to find that God even says that He is saddened by this turn of events. He is saddened by these things that follow. Not because He wasn't aware of them, but because He is still able to have this love and and compassion and, and this connection to those who have rejected Him and His heart is broken. The point is this, God doesn't stop. The people have rejected. The people have left. The people said, look, we don't want you to rule over us, and God doesn't walk away. He says, I'm going to give you a king, and it's going to be bad, and you're going to learn a lesson, but I'm not going to leave you in the dark. I'm still going to be there to catch you when you fall. We reject God, but God does not reject us. After Saul is made king and Samuel is given his final address to the nation, we find this in 12, 16 through 22. Remember this now. He finally does. He gets this king, or, or, or they get this king, but we find this, 12, 16 through 22. Now then, this is Samuel speaking, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not, is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked him for a king. I've heard this before. Well, if it works out, it's meant to be. No, God was allowing them in order to teach them that he needs to be the king of their life, that he needs to be the ruler of their life, and he allows them to have this king. He even goes so far as to choose the king, but later on we find you guys really screwed up, and God's going to let you know. Don't allow this path to continue. Don't allow this rejection to continue. Actually, we can continue on. And all the people said in verse 19 to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all of our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Verse 20, Don't be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Even now, do not turn away, do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake, listen now, for the sake of His great name, the Lord will not reject His people, because the Lord was pleased to make you His own. He's not going to walk out on those He loves. He's not going to walk out on you when you mess up, when you make a mistake. And why? For the sake of His own name. I've given my word, says God. This is my kingdom. This is my people. But we're still commanded. We're still directed. Not to continue in our mistakes of rejecting God and allowing something else to control our lives. Though God is faithful, this is not an excuse to knowingly reject God. Verse 25 of that same uh, chapter, Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. So what did the people do? The people demanded a lemon. They demanded a lemon. God was a good ruler. The law was a good set of laws, but they wanted a lemon to rule over them. And God does what He always does. He makes lemonade out of the lemons that people have chosen. God tells Samuel to choose a man named Saul. Sometimes we'll call David the first king chosen by God, and and, and that's true and it's not true. Saul was chosen by God as he's trying to, to, to teach, to instruct, but also raise up a leader that's humble and courageous, but God did not choose the kingship. God didn't choose the kingship. God chose eventually, after the kingship was established, now He chose King David later on. And King David and Saul are going to butt heads to the point where Saul gets consumed by pride and rage and fear. And we already read the end of the story, didn't we? God tells Samuel to choose a man named Saul, 1 Samuel 9, 15 through 17. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And Saul started off well. Not only was Saul a good-looking guy, which actually is significant in Scripture because the, the physical traits and physical appearances of many of the characters in Scripture are not talked about very often. Uh, but Saul is. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was from a comfortable family. He was also pretty good in battle. He rescued Jabesh Gilead from the Ammonites. He defeated the Amalekites, the Moabites. Any other ites you want to throw in there? He even put the Philistines on the run. Here's the point. Saul starts out honoring God in humility and courage. That was the gift he was given. That's the gift you and I are given. We're given the same opportunity to serve God in humility, in patience, in love, in courage, all of these wonderful traits, and Saul was no different. And So I ask you again, what's your faith built upon? Is it built upon truth? Is it built upon the Word of God? Is it built upon reason? Is it built upon conviction? or is your faith built upon convenience? Is your faith built upon the fact that everything just happens to be going your way right now? What is your trust in Jesus built upon? He was a good-looking guy, defeated a lot of people. Here's the point. Once he gave up on humility, once he gave up on courage, God stopped honoring Saul. He was honored for these traits. Look at the response he had when he told he was going to be king, First Samuel 9, 21. Basically, Samuel tells him, hey, Saul, you're going to be king. And Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? What, 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 is, what is being expressed here? Humility. Humility. I mean, there's a point at which he brings in David, and because he's so consumed by pride, twice he tries to kill him. Here at the beginning, he sees this challenge and this charge before him, and he says, who am I? And this is legitimate. This isn't just lip service. He is set back. He's in awe of going into the service of God. While Saul is humble, God gives him victory over other kingdoms, but here's really the point. While he's humble and courageous, God gives him victory over himself. While Saul is humble and courageous, God gives him victory over himself. Guys, these are where the battles are fought right here. These are where the battles are fought. These are where the struggles happen. This is where the wrestling match happened. By the way, We'll probably talk about this some other day. Jesus in the garden. Jesus in the garden in agony. This is what Scripture says. And I love that word, in agony. As He's, just before He's going to the cross. Just before He's about to give His life. God the Son in agony in the garden. The Greek word there is agonia. You know what that means? It means to wrestle with. It doesn't mean to be sad it means to wrestle, to engage in battle. Even Jesus himself is fighting these battles with Satan. Paul or Saul is fighting battles within himself. And these things are honored, these victories are assured when he decides that he is ruled by humility, when he decides he's ruled by courage, when he decides he's ruled by obedience and submission. And there's a moment in his life when that changes and he loses these battles. Guys, he kills himself because he loses these battles right here. It didn't have anything to do with losing the battle on the battlefield. It had to do with losing the internal battles. And so Samuel tells Saul, In chapter 10, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come powerfully on you, Saul, and you will prophesy. You will be changed into a different person. Then later on, verses 9 through 13, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all of these things were fulfilled that day. Sounds like he's full of promise, doesn't he? Sounds like he's full of direction. Sounds like he's full of conviction, but let's not forget the end of the story. When he arrived, when he and his servant arrived at uh, Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in the prophesying. When all of those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, "'What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets?' A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, as Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, and he went to the high place. This seems so far like a pretty good guy. It seems so far like Saul is on the right path. And if we've come to introduce ourselves, or if we've come to just begin to understand the depth of who Jesus is, it can seem right now that we're on a pretty good path. But Paul gets consumed, or Saul, that's going to happen throughout this entire series, all right? So let's just, it's the way it is. Saul is going to change the trust of God, exchange the trust of God for trust of self, pride in self. Isn't it interesting how the people leading up to Saul exchanged the guidance of God for the guidance of man again we 're not coming to any conclusions today. this is just setting the stage for watching this tragedy fulfill or this tragedy unfold but I do want you to apply some of the lessons we learned today remember you are supposed to be different you are supposed to allow God to rule your life not that which is fallible. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can begin to learn about this fall of someone who begins in in, in so much promise. Father, we know that we can be confronted by evil. We know that we can be confronted by sin. We know that we can be confronted by, by all sorts of pride and anger, by rage. Father, we would ask that You help us to remain humble, not just before You, but before others that we would remain courageous, that we would understand that these battles we wrestle with, these battles we fight just like Christ did, are the battles in the heart, battles in the mind. Father, we ask that you give us conviction, conviction to follow Jesus, certainly in the face of battles. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. you have a good week. We see some of you on Wednesday night. I do want you, there's a number of things in this lesson that we could take with us, but I want you to take one very big one with us that we hit on pretty hard. Remember this week, you're not supposed to be like everybody else. Right? You're not supposed to be like everybody else. So it's okay if you're not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that you've given us this gift of study, that you've given us this gift of fellowship, but also Interestingly, Father, we thank you that we get challenged. thank you that we get challenged because we know that we can grow. We know that we get stronger through challenges. And so, Father, we do ask as we move forward that you'll help us this week, these words just rolling over and over in our mind, that we are to be a royal priesthood, that we are to be a holy nation, that we are not, we are not created to be just like everyone else. We thank you so much for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen.